If you have your Bibles with you, you might like to just open to the book of John. Um, we'll be uh, flicking through uh, numerous, numerous passages uh, throughout the message. Uh, the message is sort of going to come in in two uh, fairly large bite-sized chunks. Um, the first part of the message being uh, a broad overview uh, of John in general, uh, and the second part being a, a more of an exposition uh, of verses 1 to 3 of the first chapter. Uh, but in both chunks, uh, they'll be, we'll be flicking through uh, the book of John. So as I say, invite you to have your Bibles open and um, I'll give you a few forewarnings and other times I might just read off the top uh, of what's in my notes. And uh, if you have time to flick there, then bully for you. Um, I must confess uh, in, uh, in preparation, in, in this morning, uh, a, a sense of uh, hopefully holy inadequacy um, to, to present such a message to you. I mean, who, who am I, uh, an unlearned 32-year-old, uh, um, to be uh, expositing God's Word, to be presenting to you guys uh, a message about the second person of the Trinity? Uh, and so uh, hopefully um, the Lord will uh, strengthen the, the words which I would say, uh, that his, his strength would be made perfect in weakness, uh, and that... Um, I forget whether it was, uh, was Andrew or Ben, if it was Andrew, um, who, who said that uh, the, the reading that he gave from uh, Revelation 4 um, ought to leave us uh, with this amazing sense of awe at who Jesus is, at who God is. Uh, and before, before Andrew had said that, I had thought to get up to right now and to say uh, that if I had a, a goal for the end of the message, uh, it would be that we are left with a sense of awe uh, at who Jesus is. So um, yes and amen to that. Uh, and in many ways, I, I would say uh, with what um, has been prayed and, and said already this morning, uh, if you've paid attention to that, then uh, pretty much that summarizes the message today. Um, so let me, let me pray once again, and then we'll, we'll get into the thick of things. Thank you, Lord, uh, for or the fact that you are here with us. Uh, and I pray, as I often do and will continue to do, uh, that you would get me out of the way uh, and simply, Lord, that you would speak to your people, that you would bless them, that you would strengthen them, that you would encourage them, uh, whether it be a, a matter of, um, of strengthening and remembering something which is already known or whether it be uh, something new which is true from your word which is presented today. Uh, nonetheless, Lord, I pray that we would be strengthened, emboldened, blessed, and as has already been said, put in awe of you uh, as a result of uh, going through uh, this overview and this more specific uh, look through verses 1 to 3. Uh, Lord, glorify your name. I pray it sincerely uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, uh, two, two chunks to, uh, to today's message, and firstly starting with the overview. Uh, and I've entitled the message, in case it uh, matters to you, um, This is Jesus. And in the, uh, the terribly ungrammatical fashion, I've done it, this full stop is full stop, Jesus full stop, to create that, uh, even in the name of the message, that sense of this is the, the Messiah, this is Jesus, the second person uh, of the Trinity. And I, I'd certainly, uh, myself and Tom, as I've, I've chatted with him also about uh, this new series through the book of John, I think 
we both and hopefully you also have this sense of excitement in going through this book. Uh, I suppose in some ways that happens at the start of uh, any kind of series, be it uh, preaching or, or be it almost anything in life. Um, but the book of John certainly holds this appeal and this excitement, uh, which I hope uh, remains throughout and that we're all able to be blessed uh, as a result of having gone through the, the book in however long it might take us to get through it. But the, there is a purpose, a fairly clear purpose, which John states in writing his, uh, his gospel here. Uh, and it is stated pretty clearly in, in John chapter 20. He says there in verses 30 and 31, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John says that the purpose of the book is that so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah, depending on if you want to anglicize the Greek or the Hebrew, that he is the, the unique son of God. And I've added unique there uh, just because in a, in a sense we are sons and daughters of God if we are Christian, uh, but Jesus is the, the unique son of God in such a way that makes him also God. And that by believing in him, we may have life in his name. Uh, John MacArthur, in the introduction to uh, the book of John in his study Bible, says this. He says that the gospel contains a precise statement regarding the author's purpose, being in chapter 20, 30 to 31. He declares that these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name, chapter 20, 31. The primary purposes, therefore, are twofold, evangelistic and apologetic. Reinforcing the evangelistic purpose is the fact that the word believe occurs approximately 100 times in the gospel. The synoptics, referring to Matthew, Mark and Luke, use the term less than half as much. John composed his gospel to provide reasons for saving faith in his readers and as a result to assure them that they would receive the divine gift of eternal life, as in chapter 1 verse 12. The apologetic purpose is closely related to the evangelistic purpose, as indeed it ought to be in general. John wrote to convince his readers of Jesus' true identity as the incarnate God-man whose divine and human natures were perfectly united into one person who was the prophesied Christ or Messiah and Saviour of the world. So a twofold uh, purpose that John gives in, in writing the book. It's evangelistic uh, and apologetic. And so very much related to that, uh, we see a few uh, themes throughout the book. So the, the evangelistic purpose, and of course the, uh, the most famous verse in, in the whole Bible likely, John 3, 16, and I'll read 17 as well. God sent Jesus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So Jesus in his life purpose comes to, uh, to save sinners. And of course, John then writing about Jesus complements that evangelistic purpose. 
Uh, and similarly in chapter 12, verse 47, where Jesus says, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. So we see a, a theme of evangelism. We see a theme of Jesus being the Christ or, or the Messiah. Uh, as in when the woman of Samaria, he's speaking with the woman of Samaria, and she says to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Jesus is uh, that prophesied Christ, which the, the Jewish people were intimately familiar with his coming, and he says, I am he. So evangelistic, uh, that Jesus is the Christ and the Messiah, and there's a, a heavy emphasis throughout the book, and I'll, I'll camp here for a little longer, uh, on Jesus' deity, the fact that he is God. And uh, I stress that now this is a, a very much a machine gun or a scattergun approach through much of the book, so if you don't uh, ingest all of this right now, don't worry too much. Uh, I'm throwing all these things at you, hopefully, uh, to, to increase that sense of awe at who Jesus is. Um, but needless to say, as we go throughout the book, there'll be much more time spent on each of these things. So Jesus' deity. Uh, Jesus has uh, prophetic insight. He, he knows the future. He knows those who are his. Jesus has uh, the, the seven, and there's a, a couple of other sort of miscellaneous ones, uh, the I am statements, which I'll explain in greater depth uh, in later, the latter parts of the message, but just for the sake of that scattergun, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. And I am the true vine. That I am statement uh, conflating his existence with Yahweh, the God of all. Jesus has ability to heal. Jesus has power over life and death. Jesus makes himself equal with the Father. We see Jesus has uh, power over nature and matter. Uh, as we see it, the, the miracle with the wine at Cana in chapter 2, and in the feeding of the 5,000 in, in chapter 6, amongst other places, and in the watering, uh, walking on the water, rather. Uh, we see that eternal life is found in Jesus that Jesus has the power to raise up from death, that Jesus knows who has salvation, and that in Jesus is life, and that Jesus is the means by which we enter the kingdom of God. Uh, and as I say, this is a, a scattergun of numerous things that could be said about Jesus which reinforce his deity. Uh, but even if you don't remember every single one of those, and I'd be very impressed if you did, uh, what an amazing person this Jesus is uh, that John presents to us in his gospel. And C.S. Lewis, uh, you might be familiar with the quote, but I'll read through it. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, that is Christ. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on level with the man who says he is a poached egg, which by the way is just a fantastic joke, um, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must take your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God 
or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. I think Lewis sums up uh, well. I mean, if you, you think about those things that I just scattergunned at you about Jesus and what he did and what he said, uh, he doesn't leave the door open uh, for not being God. He is God truly. So the evangelistic purpose, uh, the fact that Jesus is the Christ, he is the Messiah, the fact that Jesus is God, uh, and throughout the book we see this uh, sort of tension and this contrasting of life and death, light and darkness, and indeed these concepts are, are conflated and, and related. Uh, for example, in chapter 1, verse 4, it says, In him was life, life and the life was the light of men. There's this sort of conflation of the concepts of light and life. Uh, and Lord willing, uh, Tom will unpack that some more uh, in the next message. And in chapter 8, verse 12, it says again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, you see there the contrast, but will have the light of life. This is another theme that we see uh, throughout the passage of the book. And the last sort of theme that I'll draw out for you today is that there's a, um, John makes some pains to note people's surface level belief in Jesus. Uh, there are those who clearly uh, have repented of sin and who follow him. And there are others who give lip service or, or who like Jesus miracles or who go along with the crowd for whatever reason, who believe, quote unquote, in Jesus, but have no real depth of faith. Uh, for example, in, in chapter 2, verses 23 to 25, it says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them, because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Uh, which is, again, very similar to what happens in the, the feeding of the 5,000 also. And if you've got your Bibles open, uh, turn to chapter 10, and I'll read from verse 22 in a second. Uh, but another thing as you get there, which is important to keep in mind, really as you read any passage of Scripture, but certainly it applies to, to John, uh, is to keep in mind the audacity of some of the things that Jesus says. We need to, to take off our, our 21st century, uh, read this a hundred times, got the completed revelation of God hat, and we need to put on our first century Jew hat uh, and then think about the things that Jesus says. For example, and I'll get to chapter 10 in a second, uh, in chapter 8, in speaking with the Pharisees, Jesus says, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you be believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. That I am, again, being a, a conflation with himself and God. He is God. And in John 10, verse 22, we'll start from. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, 
How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe, because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. And so coming back to the, that notion of putting on our first century Jewish hat, uh, the Jews uh, were, were intimately acquainted with, at least to a greater or lesser degree, with Yahweh. They knew uh, the God who was the God of Moses, who, who created the earth, who led the people of Israel out of Egypt, who delivered them in that sense, the, the God who made promises to, to Abraham. They, they knew, they loved this God, they reverenced him as the unique God, the one and only God. And imagine just as, just as I stand before you today, here stands before them Jesus, a man with, with nothing particularly to draw us to him, as Isaiah recounts. And he says things like this. You see, we, we read this and we go, yes, we know Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. We know that he, he died for sins. We know and believe all that he did. And, you know, the Pharisees were, were nasty, religious, uh, legalistic folks. Uh, so it's right that Jesus rebukes them. We read that and we sort of go, yeah, yeah, accepted knowledge. Got that. But if we put on our, our first century Jewish hats and then consider how profound these statements are, we kind of get the punch of what Jesus is saying and the, the amazing thing uh, of who he is and what he's describing. A man from that latter passage said that he and Yahweh were one. And the Jews, as it says in, the, in verse 31, the Jews got the magnitude. They knew that were it, were it not true, that this was a blasphemous statement, worthy of stoning, worthy of death. And so as I say, to get the punch of what Jesus is saying, we need to consider his words with the mindset of those who had originally heard it. Uh, and if we'll sort of keep that in mind as we go through the entirety of the book, uh, hopefully it'll uh, bring a, a freshness and a punch to it, which maybe uh, has gone by the wayside in, in times past when we've read it. So ask yourself two questions as we read through, and indeed as you read anywhere. Uh, who was this written to? And who, uh, in this case, were Jesus' words spoken to? What would they have thought at the time when this man presented such a thing to them? So that being the uh, first bite-sized chunk of the message, um, we'll now do a, more of an exposition through verses 1 to 3. So let me read the entirety and then, as I say, we'll go through it bit by bit. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The, uh, the Septuagint um, 
you may be aware, is the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And so it's, it's some of the writings that Jesus and his disciples and others during that time would have been most acquainted with. Uh, this starting section of John uh, starts with two Greek words, en arche, and the Genesis chapter 1 starts with those same two words, en arche, in the beginning. And some have argued that the, the book of John uh, in that evangelistic purpose has a focus on uh, a Jewish audience, um, whether you accept that or not, because obviously the Jews would have been more familiar with the Old Testament. Uh, nonetheless, it has an evangelistic purpose. Uh, but those, those words and the notion of the uh, creation account, at least as, as I've read through uh, Genesis in times past, uh, hopefully produces what produces in me, and I hope it does in you also, uh, this sense of, of awe. This is the very beginning of all things. Before this time, there was nothing. Nothing existed, save God himself. And that same sense of awe in, in reading uh, through Genesis and the creation account, which uh, comes at the start of that book, uh, ought to be with us here as we read these words. In the beginning was the word. There's a sense of awe and a sense of excitement, uh, noting that this alludes to that creation account, and also uh, that implicitly it describes uh, the deity of our Saviour Jesus, as I've uh, said already and we'll go through in a little more depth now. Uh, this Jesus who is the eternal and living Word. So in some, some tasty bite-sized chunks, in the beginning, enarche, this is the start uh, of all created things. And when we say all created things, we, we tend to think uh, just of the physical things because we're looking out of our eyes all the time, being physical beings ourselves. Uh, but this is the start of all created things, material and non-material. This is the, the very start where God reveals his character and his attributes uh, to the created order. Indeed, he makes a created order in which to reveal those things too, uh, that he himself may be glorified. Before such a time, there was nothing in existence in the beginning, the very beginning of all things. And I've, I've sort of blown my own mind with this in the past, uh, but try and imagine that uh, not just that there is nothing created, but there, that there is literally nothing. Not even just a whole bunch of empty black space, but that there is nothing. Nothing exists at all. That's the reality that you have here. In the beginning, before anything was created, that's what John writes about here. That's what uh, Moses writes about in the book of Genesis. In the beginning. And John continues on, In the beginning was the Word. At this starting point of all things was the Word. Or you could say, uh, not just uh, was, but existed the Word. In the beginning existed the Word. Before anything else existed, material, non-material, etc. Before that existed the Word, was the Word. The Word Jesus, sorry, the Word Jesus was already in existence at this beginning point. And as I've quoted before, Psalm 90, verse 2, Before the mountains were brought forth, 
or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Jesus uh, was there at that very start point before anything else was. And as we later learn, as we read John, uh, the very fact that Jesus refers to himself as I am, or in the Greek, ego, I, me, refers to his eternality and self-existence, uh, and of course refers back to Exodus chapter 3, when Moses asks, uh, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. And so you, you, we have to appreciate the, the wonder, the awe, the fear that comes with uh, God, Yahweh, revealing uh, his name, who he, who he is, not just what he ought to be called by, but who he is to Moses uh, as Moses goes back to the, the people of Israel in Egypt. And by John, by uh, referring to Jesus, or Jesus as referring to himself as ego I me, as I am, is taking on this same He's saying that I am God, basically. The notion of I am who I am talks about the, the, the pervasiveness, the, the immensity of God. And so to bring that into the modern day, if you go down to South Point, to the Hyperdome, I am. If you go to Malaysia, I am. If you go to Brussels, I am. If you go back to the 1830s, I am. This is, uh, Jesus is, is there. He is the God over all of that. He has authority over all of that. I am. This, this God who is massive is there. I am. As the title of the message says, this is Jesus. He always has been. He is now. And he always will be. I am. Before all created things which you and I engage with uh, every single moment of our existence was the word, was this great I am. And so relatedly, as I alluded to before, unlike all the creation which came from or after the beginning, God, Jesus, the word is self-existent. And think about this, you know, if, if on a, uh, a more temporal level, if, if food ceased to exist, if water ceased to exist, uh, or if air ceased to exist, uh, all of us here would very, very quickly realize uh, how much we depend moment by moment, uh, minute by minute on, on other stuff. We are in no way uh, self-existent. We rely very much upon other things within the created order. Uh, and that shows sort of on a temporal level, but on a, on a more foundational and even a deeper level, we are deeply reliant upon God uh, for our existence. Not just in the fact that were he not uh, around, uh, we wouldn't have been created, but in the fact that every moment of every day we rely upon his existence uh, for our continued existence. As, uh, as Hebrews 1 verse 3 says, uh, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So it's not just that he, he created the world and then he kind of like made it to go spinning by itself. 
Uh, metaphorically, it's as if he, he spun the plate on the stick and then he's continuing to spin it day by day by day. He's keeping the whole thing going at all times. We are reliant upon him for our existence, day by day, moment by moment, where he, hypothetically, to stop existing, we also would go. There would be nothing left. But John says, in the beginning was the word. This word, this Jesus, who relies upon no one else for his existence. And so the... uh, the Christian band POD, or Payable on Death, says it well when they say, without Jah, nothing. Without Jehovah, without Yahweh, nothing. And Paul compliments it well also in Acts 17 when he says to the Areopagus, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. In him we we exist and we rely upon him constantly. We never cease to rely upon him. Whereas Jesus, in the beginning, was the word, relying upon no one else, uh, totally self-existent. And so then it only follows to read, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. God, logically and truly, is the only being capable of such as we have described. He is eternal, reliant upon no one and no thing. He is the source of all things, which we'll treat further in a moment. It says the word was with God. Having established the word or Jesus' eternality, uh, noting that the word was or existed in the beginning, John continues that this eternality was spent with God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the members of the Trinity have spent eternity with one another in perfect, intimate fellowship, which is a glorious thing in and of itself, but is all the more astounding when we consider that Jesus voluntarily left this heavenly and intimate status to perform his work on earth. This God, once again, who is uh, eternal, reliant upon no one, has enjoyed perfect, intimate fellowship within the Trinity forever, for eternity, leaves that position in order to perform his earthly work. Philippians 2, 7-8 says, Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Eternal, intimate fellowship with the Godhead to earth, to death on a cross. Romans 5, 7 to 8 says, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Now, I, I mention that because given who, who Jesus is, who we've described him as being, who John has described him as being, his position of intimacy uh, from all eternity within the Godhead, and the fact that he left that intimacy to perform uh, his humbling earthly work for an unworthy mob of sinners, not of particularly virtuous people, who are we then to complain of any trial that we would face? Given who Jesus is and what he did, who are we to complain of any trial that we would face? The word was with God. He was in the beginning with God, says verse 2, and I'll just jump through this one. Uh, He, the word, Jesus, already existed in intimate, eternal fellowship at this point of the beginning with God. But even in, in describing such a thing, you know, we're saying that Jesus existed in the beginning before that beginning. Uh, the, uh, the, the level of our human language, the finiteness of our human language becomes apparent. Because we're trying to say that before, before the beginning of all things, including time itself, before that was God. And yet there was no time before that, God himself being the very uh, creator of time. Uh, And it might just sound like a a brainy, logical concept, but what I'm trying to say is that God is is this amazing, totally unique, and you cannot exaggerate that term enough, totally unique being uh, that when we try to describe him in human language, even our own words uh, fall short of how amazing he is. Uh, This is Jesus. From everlasting to everlasting, uh, he is God. And verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And so, uh, no to our Jehovah's Witness friends, uh, not all other things were made through him, uh, but in fact, all things were made through him. Uh, And in in contrariness to what the Jehovah's Witnesses would have of verse 1, Jesus was not a God, but rather the one and only God. Jesus is the creator of all things. Colossians 1, 16 to 17 that we read through in the beginning. For by him all things were created, not all other things, but all things, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Did you catch that, that those things which are which Paul describes there in Colossians, uh, are not just uh, physical things that God created, uh, but conceptual authorities. Uh, Jesus created all things. And speaking of Jesus in Hebrews 1 verse 2, it says, through whom also he created the world. So bringing this uh, fairly quickly to a close, imagine what this describes whether in complement to what they already believed or in fresh revelation uh, to the original audience. Again, thinking, putting that first century Jewish hat on and considering that it was, this is a man who they may well have seen, spoken to, or at least that they have maybe first or second hand accounts of. This was a man that this is speaking about. Jesus, as described in verses 1 to 3, was, he existed, from all eternity. He relies on no one for his existence. 
He voluntarily left a place of intimacy with the Godhead. In saying that, he was born into a food trough. He died a grueling death on a cross for sinners. And he created all things. This is the Jesus that this describes in verses 1 to 3. This is the man uh, whom these people, who John writes to, uh, have perhaps seen and heard of, or as I say, maybe have first, second-hand accounts of. And so surely if, if they uh, read this, if they believed it, it produced awe, wonder, conviction, uh, and perhaps a plethora of other things also. Uh, and to, uh, to personalise it, what will such a truth uh, do for you? as you hear such things, as you read through that, I hope, during the week and consider um, in a concentrated and meditative form, meditative form what it says. What will that do for you? So to read through the three verses again, just in recap. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. This is Jesus. He was, he existed from all eternity. He relies on no one else for his existence. Voluntarily left a place of intimacy within the Godhead. He was born. He died a grueling death on, cross for sin, on the cross for sinners. And he created all things. Let's pray. Praise be to you, our, our great God and Saviour for such truths. And Lord, how kind you are um, to have, for this not only to be true, uh, but for the fact that you have uh, presented it in your word uh, for us to read, for us to meditate upon, for us to study and, and preach through and listen to. Lord, you are so kind. Please help uh, whether... As I have said, whether this is um, recapping or whether this is new for us, Lord, please let us leave this place in awe of who you are. Uh, Lord Jesus, in wonder that such a God would, would come to earth to do such thing for, for sinners and rabble-rousers like us. Lord, may it, it change uh, who we are. Again, whether recap or fresh to us. And I pray that as we come to a time of the Lord's Supper now, um, that we would meditate upon who it was who died on the cross and who rose again. In Jesus' name, amen.